<laughs> Hi, everybody. So uh, I'm Carolyn Elliott. And this is Layla Bernard. And you are listening to the Sleepover Podcast. We are hanging out in uh, <laughs> hanging out in my TV room with uh, little Lulu and with uh, the amazing artist Hannah Johnson, who did our cover art, who's Layla's sister. And many more exciting projects to come. Yeah. And... Oh, and Leo the cat just walked and in, Leo. so Lulu's excited about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So tonight we were thinking to talk a little bit about, like, Layla said this awesome thing that I love, which is she's saying that, um, you know what? Right now, the mythic age is here. We don't have to go back. We're going forward. What we need is not lost in a never recoverable mythic past. The mythic past, the mythic now is here, and it's our job to embody. Fucking act like it. Yeah. Right? Like, the myths did not end in the past. You know, the magic didn't die in a previous age. You know, the fairy tales were not written in the long ago. Like, those are eternal stories that are happening always. And when we tune into ourselves as these eternal beings who return ever, ever, ever again to this plane to work it out, um, we realize that like what we really are is these like mythic level beings who are doing the ritual of life, like enacting it. Like we are the heroes of the mythic story that is being told all the time. And that story didn't end because we're all still here. So obviously the story's not over, everybody. We can't just like watch it in reruns and like look at the heroes of the past and be like, gee, where are all the heroes? Like, where are all the heroes? They're sitting in the chair watching the movie. Like, we got to do it, dude. Like, we can't, like, it's not over. The story's unfolding. And it's actually, like, at a climax right now. Like, I know we'd (laughs) like to take a break as, like, karmic soul heroes. It's been a rough aeon, but, like, now it's, like, the birthing of a new one. So we can't, we can't quit now, everybody. The baby's coming. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm feeling, that's so interesting. I, as you were saying that, I was feeling, like, my... Um, my throat chakra was like going <laughs> like <laughs> yeah yeah I mean the kingdom of heaven is at hand Carolyn it's coming <laughs> yeah so what what is a one way that you see this playing out or or how do you see people avoiding their mythic dimensions like um, your clients well or- I mean I don't know if I can exactly point to how people are avoiding their mythic dimensions I mean I think you all know how you do it you like focus a lot on like getting a 50 cent raise at your job and like, you know, getting these like little tokens of like pathetic achievement in the like very limited, very finite game of the society that we live in. We're trying to hook up some cartoons for Yeah, trying to give, Lulu's pretty excited, trying to give her some Dora so she can chill while we talk. I was thinking maybe we should move into the living room so she can stay in the TV room. To me, it's pretty clear how people, like, avoid their mythic selves. Like, you know full well how you're doing that, I think. I think the more interesting thing is, like, how do you begin to believe in your mythic self? And, you know, I think the best the best way that i found to do that is to, like, tune in to what characters from 
myth and by myth i mean like the sum total of all human creative storytelling including movies and tv shows that you have recently seen like which characters do you just find yourself being like oh my god i love that character that is the one like for me it's like robin hood it's like aladdin like i love that guy so much and so much of myself coming into you know inhabiting my correct Um, role in the great myth of life is to be like, if I'm really like turned on by this like sneaky little innocent thief character, the diamond in the rough, who's like stealing bread to feed his little poor neighbors or, you know, the Robin Hood who's robbing from the rich to feed the poor. Like there must be something about that attraction to that character that means that that character is the role that I am to be playing. Like, you can feel it in yourself, the roles that you're meant to be playing, because they're the roles that turn you on when you see other people playing them. And, like, another way that I see people being more and more able to tune into their role as a, like, participant in the great ongoing ritual that is life is, you know, reading things like fairy tales, reading things like myths, watching movies as though they are, you know, ancient teachings telling you something about reality and, you know, deciding, like, to see your own life's drama as these beautiful, poetic, creative, mythic, stories that you are like lucky enough to get to be a character in even if that character is the fucking villain you know I mean that's like so much of what EK has opened up for me is this like permission you know we there's so many things that we want to do in life and we talk ourselves out of it by being like well people are just going to be so mad at me and like people are going to think I'm the worst and like like it's just gonna everyone is gonna hate me And when you're like, you know, stuck in the non-mythic version, the egoic, moralic version of looking at reality, then you're like, well, obviously I don't want to do that because that's wrong. But when you're looking at it from like the co-creator of the mythic story, you're like, well, God, you know, all these myths like include a villain. There's always a villain in the story. Nothing so, happens without the villain. What right? the fuck would happen? There's Where would the Little Mermaid be without Ursula, b- everybody? Precisely. <laughs> precisely. Like, the, if, the, if the Wicked Witch had not given Snow White the apple, then, like, we wouldn't be talking about Snow White. So, like, the villain is obviously an integral part of the story. And who are you to be so, like, rude as to refuse to play the role that, like, needs to be played in the great drama. Like, it's, somebody's got to play the role. I love that, Layla. So what this is reminding me of is, um, and I write about this in my course, Thrill, so when I was first beginning to have an online persona, um, it was like I knew that there were parts of myself that I didn't know how to show, that I didn't know how to like let out. And one of the first things that I did was exactly what you're saying. Like think about the characters who really touched me. I, I think at the time actually I was trying to write a novel too and I was reading this book called um, like Secrets of Page Turner Blockbuster Novels. 
And it was talking about that what all of the best-selling, biggest, you know, novels that get turned into the biggest movies of the 20th century have in common is um, protagonists who want something really bad and will do whatever the fuck it takes to get it. Not like protagonists who are conflicted, like, I don't know, should I want this thing? Does that make me a narcissist? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I should really think about how it would affect other people if I go after this thing. Right. Not a movie. Not, not doing that. And I was and so I was like, whoa, I started thinking about it and um thinking about uh, you know, very politically incorrect film, but Gone with the Wind uh was one of my favorite books as a kid. Um and Scarlet O'Hara. I mean, she, there's a villainous streak in her. She fucks up the lives of a lot of people. <laughs> As God is my witness, if I have to lie or kill, steal or cheat or kill, I, I will, will never, never go, go hungry, hungry again. again. <laughs> and um, I actually had a moment like that. It, it wasn't about going hungry. It was about um, I had been waiting for like a man to rescue me. And I had this boyfriend who was really hot and we had hot sex and uh, I was like semi-homeless and one night I didn't have a place to stay so I was like hey can I just like crash at your place and he was like no no Not I was tonight. like no man I have nowhere else to go come on you're my boyfriend like and he let me in his house and I learned that he was a super epic hoarder and uh, slept in his super epic hoarder house and my parents are epic hoarders and I had this moment where I was like with God as my witness, <laughs> I will never be homeless again. I will never try to depend on a man or depend on anybody else. I will fucking make my nice non-hoarder house happen. Right. <laughs> and, um, and then you bit a potato. He <laughs> yeah. threw it on the ground. And, and that uh, was the magical spell that made it all happen, everyone. That's how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like getting to that like bedrock place of like desire and like like getting to this like guttural place of like mm, going to do it. And like not cuz it's right, not cuz it's good, but cuz I fucking want to do it. Well, yeah, and, <laughs> and like, like and like there are so many like I mean, I was talking about this with my sister in the car like and we were talking about this in the last episode how I, you know, left my children with their loving co-parents and community in their other in their home where they live and moved here to like do my thing and follow my dream and I had there were months before I made that decision where I would like sit like in the bathtub like weighing the things in my hand and like asking myself the difficult question of like okay Layla if you had to choose between never pursuing your and like this is obviously an exaggerated choice but like this is kind of how the like mind talks to you like, if I had to choose between, like, the pursuit of everything that's important to me in my dreams and, like, the hottest, amazing thing that I could imagine and never seeing my family again, I was like, wow, one of these hands is a lot hotter than the other. Like, one, like there's one hand that I feel like I could let go. I, honestly, I could let go of it. And just, like, feeling into that, like, the truth of that and being like, oh, 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 well, that's a heroic dilemma right there. And instead of, like, cowering away from it and trying to be like, well, maybe I can, maybe I can just, like, shoot 
I mean, and you know, like Taoism would say, like the middle path would say, like maybe you can shoot the middle, but there's like a way in which like that's not really shooting the middle because if your actual desire is in one direction, that's your channel. That is your middle. And anything that you're like pulling off to the side for, that's not the middle. And, and like, and I guess why I'm bringing it up in the context of this conversation is that like sometimes life presents us with those like fucking intense, like mm-hmm. Indiana Jones moments of like, choose the grail, <laughs> which grail is it? And you're like, oh my God, I have to choose a grail. And like, life's like, yes, bitch, choose wisely. You know, and like when we don't think of ourselves as inhabiting our lives as the heroes of a mythic adventure, we like thrash around and whine and cry and be like, I don't want to choose. Someone choose for me. Like, please, like, why do I have to choose? But when we inhabit ourselves as like heroes, we're like, oh, all right. I've arrived at the hero's momentous choice where, all right. I, good thing I cultivated this wisdom so that now I can choose wisely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I just wanted to say a little bit more about like my little trifecta of heroes that got me started into Scarlet my, O'Hara. Scarlet O'Hara. And then the other one. So greedy, problematic bitch. Yes. And then um, I was so concerned at first about like people calling me a charlatan. Because what credentials did I have to prove my spiritual leadership? What Hogwarts University had given you a doctorate, Carolyn? None. And um, I was really uptight about that. And, you know, I was really inspired by Madame Blavatsky, uh, who wrote Isis Unveiled and kicked off uh, Theosophy, the Theosophical Society. She was a badass bitch. And she was constantly making up stories about herself who knows if they're true? They can't be proved. She said she rode, like, bareback on a horse across the Russian steppes. Like, okay. Sure. Sure, Helena, I guess. <laughs> and she was just, but she was in service to a truth, and she was not shy about creating a world around her of stories and giving people experiences, you know, seances. Like she was, she understood that people need some smoke and mirrors to get lubed up to actually open their, you know, astral perception. So she would like whatever table knocking machines, mysterious, you know, she would have actors coming and yeah. Yeah. She would do all that. And she was a fucking genuinely intense psychic also. Right. Like it's, it's like she was a genius of lived creative nonfiction where it's like, tell the truth, tell it slant. But sometimes that's the truer truth. Yes, yes, yes. And, um, and my other great inspiration along those lines, uh, is Queen Elizabeth the first who I I think about a lot. I think about Queen Elizabeth almost as much as I think about Jesus. I'm really into both of them. (laughs) And, um, you know, Queen Elizabeth, uh, she started out in a hard spot, right? She saw her mother um, beheaded by her father. She experienced all sorts of other horrors in her childhood, was assaulted by her caretakers and probably raped and everything. And somehow... She decided, I'm still going to be queen, though. And so <laughs> she had her little small cadre of supporters, and she was like, all right, this is what we're going to do. 
Um, there's going to be giant portraits of me made um, as the fairy queen, who is like the biggest mythic feminine symbol in England. And we're going to mix that up with the Virgin Mary. And uh, that way we should really get a grip on people's hearts and minds. We're going to have those portraits. Talk about like knowing the power of the mythic. I mean, you learned from the queen. Yes. And uh, (laughs) she's like, I'm the fairy queen and Virgin Mary. So don't forget it. That's who you're looking at when you see this picture. Yeah. And she did this amazing innovation where at the time it was common to address the monarch, you know, formally, but um, not super elaborately. But Elizabeth made it a rule that people in her court could only address her in the language of courtly love. So rather than saying... Your Highness, um, here are the tax reports from Essex. Would you please look them over? Somebody would have to approach her and say, Oh, beloved one who causes the stars to shine. Oh, she who thrills my heart like nothing else. Oh, um, you know, like poetry. They would have to like address her with poetry would it please you to lay your divine eye upon your illustrious kingdom's tax returns yes yes exactly she required massive seduction of herself yes and what i found so amazing what i still think about that all the time is it's like you know language creates reality reality beginning was the word and so when you're so so at first, I'm sure everybody was just like, all right, well, we're just going along with it because she said... This psycho's on a head trip. But eventually, people got really into it and started to see themselves in a more poetical light and started to, you know, she was such a great sponsor of the arts and Shakespeare and everything that this whole culture bloomed around her of poetry, of, um, you know, people really shining. And she controlled England uh, without a police force. There was just a spy force. So the Queen's spies were out in the taverns. They were paying attention, listening for anybody who was trying to evade taxes or assassinate the Queen. Everything else, you know, whatevs. Uh, I mean, do what thou wilt is the whole (laughs) of the law. As long as you're paying me for the right to live in my beautiful kingdom where you get to do what you want. Yeah, and if you murder your neighbor, probably your neighbor's family is going to come murder you, and that's... That's That's karma. That's karma, baby. (laughs) That's just how it works. Yeah. (laughs) And I've just... I think about that, and I'm like, what a way to rule the country. I mean, what a sane way (laughs) to go about it. And of course, then she went on to conquer most of the world, and she did it through magic. She had John Dee... Um, the greatest cryptographer and astrologer and polymath of the time, um, do magic spells to sink the Spanish Armada. I could go on about that for a long time because I have such admiration for that working. But so I, I sort of I took those all three together and I was like, yeah, you know, that's me. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> Describe yourself in three images. Scarlett O'Hara meets Madame Blavatsky meets Queen Elizabeth. That's Carolyn Elliott. <laughs> yeah. And, and since then, I feel like it has 
whatever, I feel like I have not talked about as much about the mythic dimension because I've been feeling like my myth has grown and shifted and I haven't known how to speak about it as much. But I can tell you the way that it grew and shifted is that um, I started doing the practices of the Golden Dawn that we talk about, the LBRP and the Middle Pillar. And I started having dreams um, that were taking me against my conscious will very deeply into the stream of Crowleyana. <laughs> and that is now what's coming through me. I mean, I guess it's actually, it actually is kind of obvious what mythic thing is coming through me now is, you know, the Babylon current and yep. all of that. Well, you're like tapping, like as you gave yourself permission to live into these like more, you know, human um, historical, mm-hmm. like human sized, you know, Queen Elizabeth is maybe like the largest one. And then Madame Blavatsky and then like Scarlett O'Hara is a very human character. Mm-hmm. Like she's a human sized person with a human sized drama. As you gave yourself permission to inhabit the like mythic archetypes that were human sized that you were big enough to carry then, then those archetypes keep opening up deeper into like the fractal core of who they really are. And behind all of us are just the gods and the goddesses. Mm-hmm. That's what we all are. I love, I love it. I love it. So something that's been happening to me lately is, so I like to say things like, oh, well, you know, the gods sent me David, my husband. What can I do? <laughs> what can I do? I mean, it's just. And one, one day I was thinking that to myself. I was like, oh, the gods. And I was like, oh, the gods who are the fractal holographic parts of my psyche that due to my magical work now show up in my dreams and talk to me quite directly. And like, I know that they are me and it's like the will of the gods is my larger will. will. Yeah. Right. Right. It's like when you say like the gods brought me this, you're also covertly admitting like I did this to myself. (laughs) (laughs) It was me (laughs) actually. And, and what a, what a potent alchemical thing to do to myself it is. I, I love David very much. We all love David very much. Shout out uh, to David. Yeah. And so it's just, it's interesting. And um, I love what you were saying about, you know, the time is now. Because I have had many conversations with magical people who, and I think it's understandable given all the trauma, that have kind of almost like a fantasy about like, oh, let's have a commune let's return to simpler ways let's be more like tribal people and like really have this longing in their hearts for this sort of eden situation and i have that longing too but i see it as something that includes it's the it's the return to the true home which is the mythic beyond like you know like like in the great myth the lord of the rings at the end they all get in the boat and they all sail across the sea to the land of the immortal ones the elves and like truly that is where we all come from is the land of the immortal ones and at the end of this great odyssey trying to save the ring from falling into the wrong hands, we too will return to the great land beyond the sea only to get right back on the boat and come back and do more adventures because that's just what we love. But like that, like all those homecoming myths, you know, Joseph Campbell talks so beautifully about this in his, in his work about, you know, the, the, the myths that all cultures share, that we all share these myths of homecoming, but home isn't behind us. You know, like we're coming home. We're not going home. Oh, you know, yeah. like 
we're, we're not returning to a place that we left, that we lost. Like we, like we were set here and everything that has happened from then to now has been our homecoming this whole time. Like I was recently talking with a beloved client of mine who, you know, is looking for community and return to, you know, and it's beautiful. Like we are in a situation where like we, we should be thinking about how everyone can eat. We should be thinking about how we can be beautifully integrated with everything. Like it's not wrong, but she said something to me that I think is probably lodged in a lot of people's minds that like, Oh yeah. You know, in like the distant prehistoric past, like people weren't messed up the way that we're messed up now. And I was like, Oh, but of course they were because look at all the shit that happened. Like if people didn't have the trauma in them, then we wouldn't have had to play it out so graphically and make it so conscious. Yeah. Like all of the stuff that happened over the last, you know, couple, two, three, five thousand years was latent in the deep unconscious of our early humanity. And we've had to just do the weird, fucked up, disturbing shadow work of enacting all of that weird stuff that was in us. And we're working it out. That's what we've been doing. It's been a lot, you guys. Like, you've been to therapy. You know what it's like to have a dark night of the soul. Like, we've been alive for the last 150 years. Like, it's a, it's one of those times. Like, compassion for our yeah. collective persona, True. we're going to make it. Yeah. Like we can know, like we can know that there's a light at the end of this tunnel. Cause you know, personally that like, it's always darkest before the dawn. And like, sometimes you have to have a mental breakdown before you have a mental breakthrough. And doesn't it seem like collectively, like that's where we're at. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Breaking through. And as just as you were saying, that something flashed into my mind that I had never thought of before, which I've spent a lot of time thinking about, like, humans traumatizing each other and, like, this demon of empire and where did it come from? And it just flashed into my mind that, like, oh, yeah, for all of those people living um, those idyllic tribal lives, nature could also be traumatizing. There could be a plague, there could be a storm, there could be a drought, right? All you could get things. bitten by something that poisons you, you could... Right. So I'm seeing now that like this sort of this demoniacal like urge to conquer and control and quantify and measure, right, comes from that. I mean, this is kind of obvious now that I'm saying it, but it comes from that urge to have some control over nature, to conquer and to avoid the traumas that can come from just being swept in her bloody claws in the stream yeah yeah my metaphors yeah we're mixing them up mixing i mean them around but that's the best way Kieran. but so and thinking about that like it makes sense um uh, in a way all of patriarchy because huge resentment against the feminine huge resentment why do you guys get to make more humans why do you guys just get naturally initiated by your bodies why do you like why does your body do these cool things with the well well in huge resentment against mother earth herself who will sometimes send send you locusts right send send you uh tsunamis right just utterly devour you yeah and that uh certainly tons of people i'm sure took that with um deep spiritual equanimity and then some other people were like no i'm really fucked up by that i really want to stop it i really want to control it i really want i really want heating and right. air conditioning right i want my children to live i want my children to live yeah and that <laughs> i love how you 
so deeply summed up, like, that it's not that there's uh, just sort of like a handful of uniquely evil people pulling the strings. It's like this very human desire to want your children to live that caused us to do all of these atrocities to others in the competition for resources and the struggle for survival. And, um, and just the way that that, because of the mind coming online in the way that it has and the, uh, you know, the verbal thought that can get so into its own far out um, places. Visionary, psychedelic, imaginal realms. Um, and, and like just the weird persuasiveness of, um, of the mind's logic. Mercury is a trickster. Right. Mercury tells nothing but lies. He deals only in lies. Mm -hmm. And how, so like we've been believing and listening to these lies of the mind and believing that we can. I mean, basically collectively driving ourselves insane Mm -hmm. and it's time I mean, that's like where we're at as a collective human persona is like reckoning with we've really been driving ourselves nuts here. Like we've been harming ourselves like this has been self-harm. I mean, that's really like, you know, eh, we're going to talk about the new age. Like that's really what the new age consciousness shift that's asking to happen is, is like we've been in the age of like us and them and how do I get from them to me and la la la. And we've been seeing this harm as like harm that's being done to us by others or that we are doing to others and that we need to atone for to the others and do some kind of work to make it up to the others. And in the new Aeon, like, we come to realize like it has been to ourselves and to ourselves only like it is all to us. Like it's our collective pain. Even if we're the doers of it, we do it to ourselves. Right. And that it's not right. Exactly. Cause it's, we've, there's enough of us now. There's like over 8 billion of us that we've started to see like, Oh, um, it's not actually possible to just take something from somewhere else or put something some and have it just right like the, right like the whole like landfill like garbage crisis that the world is in that we're all like becoming aware of because China is no longer buying the world's garbage we're all like oh there is nowhere else there's only here there is nobody who will take my pain from me who will take my garbage from me when i throw my garbage over there I'm really just throwing it on myself. Damn it. (laughs) And there is no violence that I can do to somebody else or some other group of people that I won't won't. also have to experience in the form of weird traumas that come back and reverberate and go back and forth and go... Everywhere. It's just a... It's an infinite hall of mirror of trauma when we see it that way. But, like, once we realize that, like, I've been hurting myself... It's been it's it's been us like when we wake up to our collective collective self and can see that like we have been a demented person hurting ourselves in the solitary confinement of space, then we might wake up to the compassion that like it's not that some of us are evil and some of us are virtuous like we're just one very confused being doing weird stuff to itself. <laughs> 
wow. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the beginning, I mean, that's the beginning of consciousness. Like, that's the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, I feel like that's, like, really the sort of characteristic of this new dawning. Yeah, I heartily agree. And, um... I mean, I feel like we're, like, getting off on, like, an amazing tangent of, like, the historical, mythological times that we're living in. But we did start talking about how individual humans can do their amazing work of, like, participating mythically as their own mythic characters. I know. I know what I was thinking about. You mentioned Joseph Campbell. Yes. And that got me thinking about somewhere in some Joseph Campbell book. I think it might be Thou Art That. um, He talks about re-entering Eden and how Eden is guarded by two cherubim. And uh, it's hope and fear. And they have these flaming swords. And in order to enter the garden, you have to be able to walk uh, between them without being, you know, attached or distracted, right? Mm-hmm. By either of them. And that, uh, so that, um, and also, that our culture for a long time, and in part due to wonderful Mr. Campbell, has been really perseverating on the hero's journey. And the hero's journey, as Campbell outlined it, and as it can be seen in many examples, is all about, like, usually some dude, could be a plucky young woman, but gets, um, wakes up one day and is sort of dissatisfied with their little life and meets somebody who gives them a mission and they accept the mission and they go out into the world and encounter all these obstacles and go through all these journeys in order to win something that they can bring back um, for their people. And so, yes, definitely that's cool and that's a thing. And also, in my personal life experience, what happened for me, was what I'd like to consider the heroine's journey or the underworld journey, which is you're just minding your own business. You don't really want anything to change. You're not trying to... <laughs> you're, you're just trying to be cool. And then one day, <laughs> like the ground falls out from underneath you. You are sucked down unwittingly... to the pits of hell. ...into some kind of netherworld. For me, I've been to a number of netherworlds. I've been in a heroin addict netherworld. I've been in suicidal depression netherworlds. And all of those netherworlds, I was not looking for them. I just like <laughs> fell into them like Alice down the rabbit hole. And we have a handful of heroin journey stories in our pop culture. Alice in Wonderland... Um, uh, the Wizard of Oz, where Dorothy's just, I mean, Dorothy, yeah, I mean, she has longing, but she's not, nobody gives her a mission. She just gets caught up in a freaky tornado. And then she has to, like, figure the mission out. Accused she's just like, where murder. even the fuck am I? Accused of murder. Right. <laughs> Celebrated for murder. Right. Lands, kills the witch. Now she's got to get back home. And, um, and also, uh, what's, what's the other one? I don't know. The other one is escaping me right now. But the point being is I think this is the experience perhaps of a lot of uh, a lot of people of all genders is that they don't have a specific hero's quest experience that gets them into the mythic realm. They just get right sucked, sucked down into in. the mythic oh, realm. Oh, oh, well, not pop culture, but classically, uh, Pluto and Persephone. Persephone is just hanging out, picking some flowers, kidnapped and raped into the, the underworld. underworld. And um, so I, I really like to dwell on giving more celebration and focus to that. And 
sending out the message for anybody listening out there. If you're in a struggling place right now, which is very understandable, the world being as it is, um, perhaps you are on an underworld journey, a heroine's journey where you're, you know, like Alice down the rabbit hole, you're dropped into a topsy-turvy situation where everybody seems to expect weird things from you and you don't understand the rules and you don't understand what you're supposed to do or get or go to. Well, and just like Alice is dropped into this confusing world where she's like, like, it's not clear what she's supposed to be. Nobody seems to understand what she is. The caterpillar asks her the question, who are you? And that is the question to ask yourself when you are in the heroine's position of like, what the fuck is going on? You know, the world around you is possibly asking you to be someone and hints of who you might be might come to you through these mythic tales and these heroes and heroines who had quote unquote extraordinary powers that are also yours that the circumstances are asking you to become. Yes. And I love that. I, so I love the caterpillar's question and I love what that connects to for me is thinking about the way that trauma uh, one of the signature things that it does is disrupts identity and disrupts, um, you know, our ability to feel like a coherent, unitive thing. And the painful gift in that is it's like being forced to find a larger context to answer the caterpillar's question. Who are you? Right. Well, Given that that just happened to you, <laughs> who are you now? And you could choose to be ruined and you, or you could choose to be invited to become the kind of person who takes that in and like turns it into magic. Exactly. And I, I feel like, I mean, ultimately the larger context, I love how you, you, the way that you put that, for me about how I um, was relating to these more human sized archetypes things. And that eventually like led me into like the goddess. I mean, that's how I got to be hanging out with the devil truly, because my mythic heroes are all like, okay, there's Robin hood and okay. Robin hood and made Marian. I feel like they're a pair, but like, you know, one of my pop culture mythic heroes is Frank Abagnale. Actually, he's a historical person um, played by Leonardo DiCaprio in the amazing movie. Catch me if you can. He is definitely up there in like pop culture heroes for me. One of my other mythic characters is um, Lyra Balakwa from the His Dark Materials series, who is just like a lying, sneaking do-gooder who can't help herself, but just like know the truth and say the truth crooked and like sneak her way into saving the world. Um, and I feel like those, like those trickster archetypes opened up for me into like the ultimate trickster you know like they revealed themselves as the like benevolent smiling devil who i now just lovingly serve with all my heart <laughs> i i adore that about you layla and i learn so much about that from you because um you know i've repeatedly gotten into these situations with very trickstery magic men and, uh, right, you know, we know that it's all, it's all animus projections and it's all, uh, and so I've had to be like, I'm gradually really starting to <clears throat> accept and integrate like, oh, 
I'm a crazy ass trickster, trickster magician. Too. Right. Right. Yeah. And what is what's funny about that um is I th- you know, in a weird way, I think the fact that our culture has the primary archetype of trickster is the devil who's given a masculine spin. Mm-hmm. And uh and you know, right, like this idea that was common currency for a long time that women aren't funny. And like all this like weird stuff that prevented me from understanding like, oh, uh, yeah, the trickster is totally all genders and all forms. She's a shape-shifting motherfucker. She's a trickster. (laughs) She's the joker in the pack. She can be anything she wants to be. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to bring up like my mythic beings mostly because like as I was hearing you talk about your mythic beings, like your mythic beings are fucking badass. Like you're talking about being a queen and like Madame Blavatsky who's like starting a fucking movement. And like that is grand. Like obviously, I mean all mythic creatures are grand. The lowliest of mythic creatures is grand like because they are myths, not humans. But I just wanted to like really highlight that like your mythic current might not be a like monarch and that's okay Mm -hmm. your mythic you know your mythic current might be a like person like frank abagnale never wanted anyone to know his real name Mm -hmm. because he was a con artist Mm -hmm. who didn't really exist and wanted to just snake 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 never be found never be caught never be known and that's also a legitimate mythic character to be Mm -hmm. so like there isn't you know in these myths you don't have to want to just be the princess or you don't have to want to just be the hero like maybe you want to be the like bog wizard who like the other heroes come to to get the mythic toad that they have to lick in order to like break the curse like maybe you are that one and that is also fucking mythic and epic you know like there's all different kinds of mythic tones that we can inhabit and like I think one of the sh- one of the shames that people sometimes encounter is they're like, well, I don't know if I'm like the coolest mythic character. Like, I don't know if I'm like the main character of the mythic story. It's like all the mythic characters are main characters. They, they all, all have their own spinoff series. Exactly. They, they all have their exactly. They, like, yes, maybe you are Bob Odenkirk, and. You know, like... Oh, exactly, exactly. Like, okay, you should also know that Better Call Saul, like, Saul Goodman from, the like, the Breaking Bad series is definitely one of my pop culture, uh, like, for sure he's in there. Like, Frank Abagnale, Lyra Balacqua, and Saul Goodman are probably the Layla. But yeah, so exactly, like, he started out as a side character on Breaking Bad, but then, like, he was so fucking awesome, they made Better Call Saul. Like, we all get our own show. We're all the stars <laughs> of our own show. And so you don't have to worry about whether you're the, like the big one like you are the big one in whatever role makes you hot to play yeah yeah and that's yeah the shape whatever role makes you hot to play i love that um because truly like it is um not a veil of tears but a veil of soul making and we do actually get to choose the um the role that we inhabit and once and after we choose it this is one of my favorite books is finite and infinite games oh god that book if you haven't read it finite and infinite games please everyone you should know yes and uh you know in that book the author james p cars talks about how 
lots of people get caught up in playing these finite games of like, uh, let me see how much money I can make. Let, let, let me, me get the prize. I want to be the winner of a prize. Mm-hmm. But actually, all finite games are happening within the infinite game. And the point of the infinite game is just to keep get, playing, keep playing, get more people playing, um, keep the game going. Keep the game going. The only, the only thing that's against the rules of the infinite game is to just try and stop others from playing the infinite game. Right. And that's it. Yeah, exactly. And learning about sort of like the only crime is collision in uh, Crowley terms. Yeah. And. When I read that book, I thought about how um, at recess at school, you know, teachers would be, like, trying to get me to play dodgeball or whatever, these finite games. And all I ever wanted to do was play pretend. I wanted to enroll as many people as I could in a game of actually, perhaps unsurprisingly, I like to play witches. I like to have everybody go collect (laughs) different flowers and twigs and put them in a cauldron and stir them up and... You know, make a potion as you do. But playing pretend, right? There's no winner of playing pretend. No. But it's fucking way more fun than dodgeball. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like playing pretend is literally what we're all doing. And so, like, it's doing. the game. Like, that's why that's why play is so important to children because that's what you're gonna do for the rest of existence is just role play some different things. Like, you're gonna get your little kitchen set out. You're gonna get your little dolly set out. You're gonna get your little. You're gonna go to school. Like. We're all just going to play those roles. Yeah. You know, Carolyn, when you were talking just now about, like, the veil of, you know, soul making, it made me really, like, consider this, like, maybe seeming paradox. Maybe it's not quite a paradox, but it's, like, kind of the funny joke. You know, like, I love the Joker. Like, you know, you, you it's not about discovering yourself. It's about making yourself. And yet there is a way in which making yourself is done through discovery, And you know what to discover, like, you know what's wanting to be discovered by you by knowing what you want to discover. Like, like, like that's literally it. Like, the only, like, the community, like, the way that the, the the way that the magnet of evolution in the universe works is that, like, what you want to become wants you to become it. I feel like I want to slow down on this theme because this is a really big, beautiful thing. So just to repeat what I heard you say, Layla, that um, our longing for what the unknown, the flavor of the unknown that's calling to us that we're like reaching into towards the mystery of it. Like, let me find out. Let me merge with this. Let me go into this is also pulling us well it feels like a pull does it not Mm. like doesn't it feel like a pull like longing like weirdly it pushes us forward towards the thing that we want but when you really sense into it doesn't it feel like something outside of you is drawing you forward like that's because it is that's because your longing is the like receptive pole. Your heart is the receptive pole of the magnet to the thing that it loves, that loves it back. Like it's always a magnet. It's always two poles. Like love, I mean, I, God, this is like my nerd self, like would love to write a course about like the magnetic nature, the electromagnetic nature mm-hmm. of love, which always requires a pole. So like the love, the lover 
has a beloved and the beloved's lover is also its beloved. Like they're just, they, they can't, you can't, when you cut a magnet in half, it just turns into two magnets. Like you can't separate those poles from each other. The thing that you want wants you. That hmm. I really believe that that's just how it works. And, you know, I'm sure there are many people who are like, well, there's somebody that I'm in love with who just isn't, like, who just doesn't see me and doesn't notice me. You're not responsible for them being aware of that. You're not responsible for them knowing how to do that. You can just rest in the fact that you're not crazy. Like, there, like, there is, a, like, there's polarity happening in the whole world. Like, the thing that wants to be made through us is the thing that we want to make. Like wanting is the way that evolution communicates in the present. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like love is the evolutionary force. Yeah. It's sort of like almost... Like, it's a precognition of the if, fulfillment. Dude, I know you hate these movies, Carolyn. You hate these, like, long, slow, boring space movies. But that's basically <laughs> what um, Interstellar is about. Is that, like, love trans... It's like a magnetic force, electromagnetic force that transcends time. Like, it can, it can like... And our longings for what we are to become and, like, these future visions are, like, the thing in the future attached to the other side of the magnet in the now in your heart. And they're like, you feel the pull of the future thing that you love, like in your heart now, because love is a force that acts through time because it's evolutionary. We can't evolve without time. Like time is the medium of evolution. And we can't evolve without desire. I mean, fucking is the engine. <laughs> well, and like love and desire, yeah. like, I mean, really, are they different? Like, really, are they different? <laughs> really? Like, yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. You know, I mean, it seems like desire is like focalized love. I love the honesty of Spanish, right? Te quiero. I want you. I want you. Yeah, I, I love you. I, I want, want you. you. I, I want that. Mm-hmm. It's just become very clear to me that, yeah, like, I, I mean, I like what I just said. I, I, I'm surprised by my own genius. Like, time is the medium in which evolution unfolds, and love is the force that pulls us in the evolutionary direction through the evolutionary medium. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> this, is, this is now a nerdy metaphysical podcast, too, so... One thousand percent, and I just want to <laughs> praise the the deep classic depths of um, Layla's Hermeticism because there's a famous book called Initiation into Hermeticism by Franz Barden that's like notoriously difficult to get through. Like the first chapter, like the first the exercise, you're supposed to do it in order. And anyways, but it's all about electricity and magnetism and uh, how you know, we come to operate those in the body and, and feel them and be in touch with them. And uh, I never... You never got on that train. I never got on that train. But uh, because, you know, I don't know, science textbooks are dry. But you, Layla, you you are, you are fucking hot. You're super sexy. And when you say it, I feel it. I'm like, yeah. Well, I guess I went to engineering school for a reason, so that I could be hot and sexy to my magician friend. That was all worth it. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to write the primer to that book. 
Oh my gosh. Maybe I should read that book and then be like, all right, bitches, you didn't take physics. You were all sleeping in physics class. I know because I did your homework for you. <laughs> so here's what you need to know in order to understand this book. Maybe that would be really helpful. Carolyn's <laughs> like, oh, maybe I'll read that. <laughs> anyway, teaser. If you like the idea, let me know. Yeah. So I guess maybe just to sort of conclude talking about um, people and their mythic dimensions is like, uh, the the thing there's one thing that I like to think about in the playing of the finite game is that you can still play those finite games you can just make them infinite by adding aesthetic flourishes to them or or by you know you feel the freedom in it so like if somebody is playing the like I'm playing a game where I want to make a lot of money and I can ask myself like what would be the weird unexpected thing here what would be the you know like it doesn't have to be played like with a um kind of single determined it can be played with uh a sense of expansiveness and a sense of possibility and that that just opens it up i mean carolyn you're not a video game nerd either so i'll just use a video game nerd metaphor like this winter i was having my jubilee where i was just indulging in a lot of cannabis and playing a lot of zelda And, you know, it's just like Zelda where like, yes, you're on a larger quest, but there's like different dungeons that you have to go through that are part of the larger quest. And you shouldn't forget the larger quest and get lost in a dungeon that maybe doesn't serve your larger quest. And sometimes maybe you just go on like a side quest where you're like finding a ribbon for your friend's hair. And maybe sometimes you just go to the side quest where you go fishing in the pond. Like all of these little side quests have their own little prizes that we win. Those are all the little finite games within the larger context of the big mission, which is like, who am I going to be? So I have two things to express. One, fun synchronicity. You know who also illustrates deep principles with references to Zelda is our mutual friend, Michael Smith. Well, shout out to Michael Smith. I know he's he's my brother. He is my spiritual brother. We cannot deny it. Just yesterday, he was telling me about how he levels up in playing Zelda by killing a whole ton of squirrels. Just, like, getting... He just, like, does the easy thing that, like, levels up until when he faces a big boss, he's just killed so many squirrels that the big okay I, I actually i want to give a better metaphor for like what's going on in zelda when you level up so like in zelda when you level up you get more hearts in your life bar like you're like there you know you start out when you're a little link and you only have three little hearts and so if you take too much damage it's easy to kill you but as you go around and do bigger scarier adventures and like larger risk things you get more hearts your heart bar grows larger. So then when you take hits, it's harder to kill you. And as you get stronger and more powerful, you just get more and more hearts. Mm-hmm. And really, like, that is how we all level up in life is by doing scary shit and getting, cur- like, using our courage, our, our courageous hearts, 
and like expanding them by showing ourselves that like, yeah, I can kill that scary boss. Yeah, I can have that awful conversation with my partner. Yeah, I can tell that person in my life that isn't nice to me to just go to hell. Yeah, I can publish my work on the internet. Yeah, and like those are all the little bits of hearts that we collect to level up in our own RPG game called Our Adventures of whatever (laughs) your name is and whoever (laughs) character you're being, you're just growing your heart bar. And then like, and just like in the video game, as you grow more hearts and do more courageous things, it's harder to kill your courage because stuff comes at you and you're like, you know, I got, I got, I got a lot of heart. I'm good. Like my heart's full. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's what Michael was trying to tell me, but I like the way you put it. And it's like, uh, so then the other thing that I wanted to express was, and that was so gorgeous. was that, um, Everybody, I, just tenderly, vulnerably from my heart, I just want to say that I just really want all of us, everybody listening, everybody here, to uh, be just those big mythic weirdos, because uh, it's sexy. I mean, I write fanfic about my friends. <laughs> I, I don't show it to anybody usually, but I'm like... It's like I'm sitting, like, thinking about, you know, my favorite characters, and I just want to imagine their different things and, like, <clears throat> write little side stories for them. And basically, the reason that I'm doing this whole mystery school and podcast is so that I can get a fanfic community going to share my work with. <laughs> so you guys can meet the characters that Karen likes, that Carolyn likes to think about. <laughs> and, and then you can think about them, too, and write stories, and we can... <laughs> I feel like, you know, I feel like because I just love to exalt the terrible so much, Carolyn, like, I just really want to say that, like, the, like, a mythic character that's very pathetic that just struck into my mind was, like, the little matchstick girl. And, like, what a mythic hero the little matchstick girl is. And so I know that I have been at points in my life where, like, the most mythic character that I feel like I can have it is, like, a little matchstick girl type archetype of just like I have nothing and I'm just gonna like keep myself warm on the like dreams and like even if in those darkest moments I can remember that like I am actually a character in a story that moves everyone who reads it to tears then I can appreciate the beauty of even that role and that is the power of myth that is how living a mythic life can like truly give us salvation from whatever is happening. Hmm. That's reminding me of how in grad school I lived in this apartment that the wind literally whistled through and I would like sit there and this song from My Fair Lady, which was like, all I want is a room somewhere warm and safe from the cold night air. <laughs> we play in my mind. Exactly. And like, that's mythical, Carolyn. Yeah. That's why you were able to take yourself from the myth of the little matchstick girl freezing in your apartment to I am Queen Elizabeth. Because you're like, it's all just on a continuum of mythological characters. <laughs> So, 
Yeah, well, thank you for listening, everybody. Um, this has been Sleepover Podcast. Uh, please, with Carolyn and Layla. With Carolyn and Layla and our special live audience of Hannah and Lulu and, and Leo. <laughs> and please uh, subscribe, uh, review, tell your friends, share on Instagram. Let's get way more people into this fanfic community. Yeah, let's start writing amazing myths. Yeah. Yeah.